For Radio Catskill, this is Rosie Starr. Welcome to Farm and Country, locally produced radio about rural life in the Catskills and the Delaware River Valley. On today's show, Keith Hubbard's Star Talk gives clues on finding the dolphin constellation Delphinus. Local purveyors of riverbend honey, gardener Bill Boyle and honey sommelier Donna DeFalco share their sweet seasonal enthusiasm. Stephanie Phillips and guests explain the significance of apples and honey for a sweet Rosh Hashanah New Year celebration. All of that coming up on today's Farm and Country. But first, news headlines from NPR. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Noor Rahm. A strike against the major automakers is in its second day. Hundreds of cheering and chanting union members packed a post-strike rally in Detroit yesterday. Many said they're ready if their plant is the next to strike. Michigan Radio's Tracy Samilton reports. UAW leaders called for solidarity for the new strike strategy, starting with just three plant closures, one at GM, Stellantis, and Ford, and growing from there. Glenda Stanley works at Stellantis Mac Assembly Plant. She says if her plant is next, so be it. Stanley says Detroit 3 CEOs saw a 40% boost in pay over the past four years, but real wages for workers fell due to inflation, and that after years of concessions. They are not the only ones that deserve to live the good life. We deserve it, too, because we build those trucks. Amen. Auto executives call the strike disappointing and say they made compelling offers to the union. From Detroit, I'm Tracy Samilton. The National Hurricane Center says Lee is now a post-tropical cyclone, but is still capable of producing hurricane-force winds and torrential rains. Severe conditions are expected across parts of Massachusetts and Maine. Bruce Young is a lobsterman in Bar Harbor, Maine. He says they're ready. The whale boats, uh, the excursion boats, there's a couple other lobster boats. Um, They've gone, they've all got storm moorings up the bay that are very heavy and and they'll have uh, the captains on them for the storm. So if something does break free, uh, they are right there. Forecasters say the Canadian provinces of New Brunswick and Nova Scotia could see hurricane conditions. Among the bills piling up on California Governor Gavin Newsom's desk this week is one that would protect sensitive medical information, including about abortion, from being shared widely. Rachel Myro of member station KQED has more. In a time when people plug all sorts of health stats into apps and online profiles, it bears noting that much of this data isn't secure and can be shared with state health care exchanges, advertisers, and even district attorneys. The bill's author says the measure is intended to protect people from outside California seeking reproductive health care, including abortion and other sensitive services, here. The governor has until October 14th to sign or veto the bill. Supporters include Planned Parenthood Affiliates of California and the Electronic Frontier Foundation. The Right to Life League is opposed. For NPR News, I'm Rachel Myro in San Francisco. Rescue teams are still searching the Libyan coastal city of Derna, nearly a week after a devastating flood. The Libyan Red Crescent says more than 11,000 people have died and more than 10,000 people are still missing. This is NPR News from Washington. 
After But Her Emails became shorthand in 2016 for the media's deep focus on Hillary Clinton's server hygiene at the expense of policy issues, is history repeating itself? You can almost see an equation, again, I would say, led by the Times in Biden being old with Donald Trump being under dozens of felony indictments. Listen to On the Media from WNYC. Saturday afternoon at 4 on Radio Catskill. Welcome back to Farm and Country. I'm your host, Rosie Starr. Coming up on today's show, local gardener and Riverbend honeymaker Bill Boyle partner with Honey Sommelier Donna DeFalco to heighten our taste buds by exploring samples of honey. Stephanie Phillips and guest briefly explain the significance of apples and honey for a sweet Rosh Hashanah New Year celebration. But first, here is Keith Hubbard with this week's Star Talk report. Thank you for joining us on Radio Catskill for this week's locally produced Farm and Country. For Farm and Country, I'm Keith Hubbard, and this is Star Talk. Many of the constellations bear little resemblance to their namesakes. It takes a very vivid imagination to see a king in Cepheus or a princess in Andromeda. Delphinus is a dolphin and is one of the few constellations that resembles its namesake. It can be found swimming high in the southern sky at sunset and will be up all night. Delphinus can be found 23 degrees to the left of the bright star Altair. That is a little more than two fists held together at arm's length. There are four stars that form a small diamond which compose the body of the dolphin and two stars which make up the tail. The constellation is standing upright on its tail, making it look as if Delphinus is leaping out of the water. None of the stars in Delphinus are very bright or particularly interesting. The brightest star shines at magnitude 3.8 and is a binary star. The two stars were born from the same cloud of gas and dust and orbit each other once every 27 years. This constellation is one of the 48 constellations that the 2nd century astronomer Ptolemy cataloged. The constellation is very small, covering only 189 square degrees in the sky, making Delphinus the 69th largest constellation out of the 88 that we have in our sky. The moon will not be in the sky before midnight this week, which will help to find this faint constellation. Look for Delphinus the dolphin to be leaping out of the water in the southern sky on these late summer evenings. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future Star Talk segments, my email address is startalk at farmandcountry.org. For Farm and Country and Star Talk, this has been Keith Hubbard reminding you to keep looking up. Here is local gardener and Riverbend honeymaker Bill Boyle, who participates in the annual Narrowsburg Honeybee Festival. We've been keeping bees up right on the Delaware banks, and um, this year we've had, as you know, a lot of rain, so we've had lots of nectar flow. So we had a really good spring honey pull, 
I take the honey twice a year. So in the spring I took it. And just last week we pulled what we're offering today, the fall honey. For this particular area, works really well is the red bamboo, the Japanese knotweed, which most people don't like because it's an invasive species. We have riverfront. It's a problem for access to the river. But for the honey, it's just phenomenal. It offers a really rich, flavorful, very aromatic honey that uh, you can only find up in this in this region. So it's wonderful. I have to agree that between the heat and the amount of rain, the Japanese knotweed is very prolific. Yeah, I mean, every year that I've been up here, it gets more. It takes over more and more, especially of the the Delaware Riverfront, but all over the area, you see it cropping up. You know, it is a problem. I mean, again, as a beekeeper. It's great, but I'd like to contain it to somehow if I could. But, yeah, exactly right. The the weather has combined with the, the extra rain and the heat in between that, uh, you know, it's just all over the place. Now, you mentioned that you grow crops on your property. Yeah, we, 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 we grow it. We have a group of families, relatives, right within on the road together. So we have three vegetable gardens. We're growing a wide variety of tomatoes, peppers, onions, melons, a lot of uh, peas. You know, some of it you're, you're harvesting obviously early in the year, but right now is when we're pulling everything in. One of the things I think with the weather, with the, the wet weather this year, the tomatoes were very slow to come in. So right now we're getting, you know, we're overburdened by the, by the tomatoes, but it's great. So we're, we're canning. My wife's a master canner. So we're literally nine miles on night, right down 97 in Keshecton. So right where 114 and 97 hit, that's where our property is and you can see us we're between 97 and the railroad tracks is is where one of our fields are just past the pump house any of the crops that you grow are the bees attracted to that absolutely you know they're pollinating that's what they do so that's the great part of it all of them we grow some melons that I think, you know, early, we get flowers early in the year. They're really all over those. Zucchinis, you know, again, another bumper crop this year of zucchinis with, with, the, with all the water. Very helpful for all of that. The Narrowsburg Union recently hosted a honey tasting event inside the Catskills Curator vendor shop. Honey sommelier Donna DeFalco gave a tasting demonstration designed to evoke the senses, using eyes, nose, and spoon to sample a variety of local honeys, participants were invited to be mindful of flavor, smell, and texture, and used a honey aroma wheel to identify notes like floral, chemical, animal, bitter, and fruity. In tasting honey, the first thing you need to know is you need to smell first. So I would suggest everybody just go and clear out your nose because you're going to need them. Okay. <laughs> and then the next thing we use is our eyes because that's the most important next part. Tasting is the last because if you can't smell, you can't really taste, right? So that will be the last. All honeys are not alike. Um, we are doing what we call multi-flower honeys here today, specifically from the Catskill region. As a honey sommelier, you really treat honeys like a wine, so they have noble varieties of honeys, which are monoflowers. We have very little of that up here, so we're using the Catskill honeys here for, for our table. That's what we eat and use. You want that honey that's local. It's wonderful when you walk into a shop and you see a lot of local product that is similar. Try it, because it, each one of them tastes so, so different. 
maple syrup included. Mm. You know, it's really important to do that. What we are looking at right now, the first one we're going to try is the lightest one over here. That is a true spring honey. Okay? And then you should have these. This is, would be an official tasting note. Just like when you do wine. So we have like those blends, like the Merlots and stuff, and then you have the true Cabazin. So the first thing you do is you pick up your glass, you take a look at it, and take a look at it. What is the aspect of it? What is the color of it? What's the physical state of it? Is it milky? Is it swirly? Is it... You do that because, is it transparent? Is it opaque? That tells you something specific about a honey. The next thing you do is you smell the honey. So I want you each to take your spoon and I want you to swirl up some honey up, swirl it up the side of the glass, make it nice and thin along the side of the glass. And then just smell, do not taste. Oh, you smell, what do you smell? Mm. Honey. <laughs> but right next to you, you have what we call an aroma <clears throat> wheel. And so, is it a vegetal smell? Is it a floral smell? Is it a chemical smell? Is it an animal smell? A warm smell? Or is it a bitter smell? It's a little citrus. A little citrus? Okay. I would say fruity, yeah. Fruity, so some floral. No honey, especially if it is a wildflower honey, we'll have only just one. I get a very, very uh, uh, chemical smell in that for me. This one. Yeah, medicinal. Mm. This chemical medicinal. This yes, one? it's very medicinal. Oh, okay. Same one, yeah. Mm. Try to go beyond it. See if you can't move it around a little bit. And then the next thing we do is we're going to swirl and we're going to put it in our mouth. And we are going to let our taste buds work. And you need saliva to do that. So you're going to take some, put it in, move the saliva around and let it melt across your tongue. And then see if the tastes are not necessarily the same that you smelled. So most people here feel this particular one has the citrusy note. Anything else? So some texture in it. So very sweet, right? Yeah. Really sweet. That is clover. Mm. Okay, so clover has that flavor to it when you get that in there. And if you eat a clover leaf, where you smell that clover leaf, you every you chew, you chew clover, you could get that. Also could be some alfalfa in there. Mm. So those are, that's it. And, and there's definitely acacia in there. There's definitely black locust in there. And that's that confectioner sugar space. And it's a little runny. There are three sugars in honey, glucose, fructose, and sucrose. The honeys with glucose tend to be the more beneficial honeys. They're the darker honeys. They're the ones with, with the most antioxidants. They're the ones that have sylvanine for burns, things like that. Fructose, that has that particular honey is, I would say, no glucose and mostly fructose and sucrose. So if you're a diabetic, that should not be your choice of honey um, because those are the things that would not be the best for your body, although it's certainly better in smaller amounts than processed sugar, for sure. A honey that crystallizes is your perfect honey. It has 17% water in it. That is the perfect amount of water to nectar and pollen that goes in a hive. This little piece of comb, it takes one bee, his entire, entire lifespan to fill one of those holes. It's a sixteenth of a teaspoon of honey. Now think about that jar of honey that you buy and think about how many bees it takes. It takes a hive about 50,000 miles to do one jar of one pound honey for you. So it's a lot of bees, there's a lot that clean works hard. So each one of these cells has a little bit of water, pollen and nectar in there. Okay, and that creates those perfect honeys. So if a honey, I'll show you if honey has too much water, it's going to ferment. It's not bad. You can cook with it. They call that baker's honey. Absolutely use it. I have some to smell in a minute. 
So what I want you to do here is do the same thing. Look at your aspects, look at the color, note it. This is a mix of spring and fall, and it's nice and liquidy. Liquidy it is, yeah. Okay, so go ahead and taste. Put that in. Uh, Peter's going to tell us if it's sweeter or less sweet. And, um, this, this one smells like molasses to me. It smells like yeah. molasses. Okay. Earthier. Earthy. What are the crystals? Are they large? Are they small? Do they melt? Do they cut your tongue? Are they smooth? Are they rough? Is that something you like in your mouth as you're tasting it? Yeah. So the crystals, as they melt, change the flavor in your mouth. Granular. Very yeah. granular. It's like it's in the, ve- the vegetal. A little bit vegetal, yeah. yeah. Like woody, like a yeah. woody, good, yeah. Okay, good yeah. in there. It's not. It doesn't taste as sweet to me. Mm-hmm. Correct. Mm-hmm. So that's a glucose, high glucose. So you can tell the difference in sweetness. Obviously, all honey is sweet. Yeah. I think the intensity of this one is very high, right? It stays in your mouth a little bit, where the other one just kind of dissipates, right? So intensity of honey is another thing, and similar to the citrus one earlier, I can't say specifically. We have a, around this area also another invasive species, which is Tree of Heaven or Atlantis flower, which also gives things a citrus, which I think that first one probably has some of that in it as well. These are guesses for mine, just learning the flavor notes of things. But if I had to say the first one from Sullivan, it probably has Tree of Heaven, it probably has um, alfalfa, it probably has black locust and clover. If I, if I had to make my guess. You said not weeds invasive, mm-hmm. and that's, but that's also kind of part of what gives it some of its characteristic. It's every honey. That mm. has, and it's in the buckwheat family. It's a bamboo, right? It's a type bamboo. But buckwheat, it has so many amazing health benefits to it. Um, some of it is quantified, some it's not. But even pediatricians now use dark honey, black uh, buckwheat honey, instead of anything for sore throat. All right, so we've tasted all this. Your last one is my spring honey infused with, I do organic herbal garden, and it's infused with oregano. So, and I infuse them for almost anywhere from six weeks to six months, depending on the herb. I will tell you that this one took six months, so I test it a lot. If you put it on food, you may really like oregano. I also infuse coffee beans in my honey. That's my absolute favorite of my infusions. So what do I do with that? That I I like that on fresh ricotta cheese. That is my ultimate thing. Give me some figs. I like it on vanilla ice cream. And he likes it on vanilla ice cream because it has a brown bonnet. It it hardens and then you have that hard brown bonnet thing on top of the ice cream. So, isn't that nice? Isn't that a good one? Yeah, that is my that's my pride and joy. My my coffee honey is my pride and joy. Yeah. That to me was like the most intense, like from the very second it my tongue yeah. was like the biggest burst of some of and then I have uh, a tarragon honey. Oh, wow. This is from last year. And for some reason, people were not buying my tarragon honey, and I don't understand it because it is so good. I think most people don't understand the herb tarragon, right? Just like oregano. Tarragon is like anise. It's a little bit on the, the black licorice side, right? But when infused in something... You don't really get that flavor. Okay? I'm going to pass this around. So you infuse the tarragon in the honey. When you want to smell an herb, you need to take a leaf and you need to break open the oils in your hands because you won't smell anything. To control the flavors in the honey, do people try to control where what your what your environment is or your terroir, right? So a wine has a terroir, right? But we the terroir of honey is what the bee brings to it. 
from the flower and where those flowers grow and the type of soils that those flowers grow in. So your flowers in your yard are going to have different than someone else's flowers because of your soil. So the, everything has changed. No, none of these will ever taste the same. They will have certain flavor notes specific, but they won't always be so specific. There's lots of nuances. You need about three miles worth of flour to get a monoflower. Okay? Now, some of that does occur naturally, but like lavender honey, which I do have to have, from France is grown in fields. So I'm going to put a honey on the cheese. I want you to taste it alone. Just alone, okay? Then you're going to cleanse the palate with a, a, a piece of apple, which I'm going to cut these in half. They're too big. And then I'm going to try a piece of honeycomb. And it's going to be like the wax lips that you had on uh, Halloween. The wax is going to stick in your teeth and all the other things, but if you rinse with cold water, you can take it out. But you swallow. Wa uh, honey wax is really delicious. So this is Calkins Creamery Brie. I decided to use our local cheeses. Tarragon honey tastes delicious on brie. Uh, I use tarragon honey, literally take my tarragon leaves, wrap them around a brie, and then you warm it in there, like you bake it, put them on a grill, and you take it out, and then what I do is cut a, a hole in the center, and I put like the tarragon honey thing. in the middle. It looks pretty as an appetizer, and it just tastes delicious. It's incredible, tarragon honey. I would suggest, too, eating cheese with a fresh herb and some and honey, as opposed to bread is also a very nice way to serve things that people always used to eating the cheese and bread. That cheese is amazing. That is so delicious. Thank you so much. You're welcome. The Catskill Curator Vendor Shop has a resplendent variety of local honey available for purchase located on the Bridge Street side of the Narrowsburg Union. The annual Honeybee Festival is Saturday, September 23rd, from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. Main Street in Narrowsburg, New York, will bombinate in activity, offering music, delicious food, and face painting for children. Vendors will offer handmade crafts and, of course, honey products. If you like, come dressed as a bee. Instagram has more information for the 9th Annual Honey Bee Festival, Saturday, September 23rd, from 11 a.m. until 5. Stephanie Phillips, Rabbis Bella Bogart and Chana Rosenholtz, along with musician Julie Silver, agree that apples and honey go together for a sweet New Year Rosh Hashanah celebration. This program, Farm and Country, generally focuses on country activities and farm products. So we've asked you to talk about apples and honey for Rosh Hashanah. We'll start with honey. When did it become associated with this holiday? Apples are first mentioned as a Rosh Hashanah dish in Machzor Vici, written in 1208, the Jews of France would eat apples on Rosh Hashanah as a symbol of a new beginning, and the dipping apples into honey was added in order to wish us for a sweet year. We don't just dip apples in honey. We have lots of honey things. What's your excuse for honey cake and honey confections? 
Why specifically honey as opposed to other sweet things? One explanation is that it's compared to the manna that was given in the desert when the Israelites were in the desert and that those wafers were as sweet as honey. So we stick with that honey image to remind us about that. Okay, moving on to apples. When and why did apples become a symbol of Rosh Hashanah? There's two things going on here. One is this idea of the apple being the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden, which is not an original Jewish concept, came out of Latin, came out of other things. But I found some really beautiful references to apples specifically. In the Song of Songs, it says, As the apple is rare and unique among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved, meaning the people of Israel, amongst all of the other nations of the world. In medieval times, the apples were considered so special that they would carve things in the apple before they ate it to give it that sort of sympathetic magic, right? There's all sorts of other quotes. There's mystical things about Jacob, who we talked about briefly earlier. When he came in and got the blessing from his father, when his father was dying, his father says something about the smell of my son coming in from the fields is so beautiful. And the mystical translation of it is that he smelled like apples, that he smelled like an apple orchard. Since we're talking about agriculture, let us just look at a simple reason. Apples are in season in the fall. That's for sure. At least they are here. Rabbi Charna, is there a special blessing to say when you eat apples and honey? There's always a special blessing (laughs) that you say. You want to praise the ground The earth from which it comes, you want to praise. You always praise. When you say a blessing, you want to say, where is this food from? Is it a tree? The tree is going to have a very specific blessing. And then the beehive, what comes from the honey, will have a specific blessing. Mm -hmm. And on Rosh Hashanah, when you're specifically doing this little sympathetic magic in order to ensure a sweet year, when you take a bite of that beautiful, sweet thing, you say a bracha or, or a phrase. It's not really so much a blessing as it is a phrase asking, may it be God's will for us to have a sweet year. I love to say shana tova umutuka, just a good and sweet year. If you're going to eat an apple, 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 don't forget to have some honey. Honey, 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 apples and honey, it may sound funny, you can make the new year sweet and sunny, eating apples and honey, you can go and ask the rabbi, 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 why we did the old year good. Shana, we're spending the new- 
brother, father, mother. And honey, apples and honey. It may sound funny. You can make the new year sweet and sunny. Apples and honey. It may sound funny, but you can make the new year sweet and sunny. Hope that you enjoyed our show this week with production by Radio Catskill volunteers Keith Hubbard and Stephanie Phillips. Special thanks goes to our guests, Bill Boyle and sommelier Donna DeFalco from Riverbend Honey, and to rabbis Bella Bogart and Chana Rosenholtz, speaking about apples and honey for Rosh Hashanah. We'd also like to thank Judy Silver for sharing her music apples and honey. This has been your host, Rosie Starr. Thanks for listening local to Farm and Country and supporting Radio Catskill, public radio for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. Listen on air at 90.5 FM, on your phone or smart speaker, and online at WJFFradio.org. Support for Farm and Country comes from Damascus Citizens for Sustainability, a community-supported, science-based nonprofit, taking legal actions, providing tools for action, and raising awareness of fracking damage since 2008, proactively protecting public health in the Delaware River Basin and beyond. DamascusCitizens.org The epidemic of crack cocaine